Welcome to the Sick Network Podcast, a weekly podcast discussing current and topical issues affecting Sikhs across the global diaspora. Hi and welcome to the Seat Network podcast. Um, I think it's been a couple of weeks since since our last episode, and uh, I think you joined us for episode thirty-one today. Um, and once again, it's a very poignant and hard-hitting episode. But when we're talking about a few things in particular, we're going to be um, it's we're going to be reflecting of you know really on twelve months of the Seat Network podcast, um, how time has flown and how twelve months of have suddenly passed so yeah we're going to be reflecting on the last 12 months and of this podcast and looking at you know the experiences that we've all had as well as the impact we think it's made and and kind of how we grow in the future too uh we'll be talking about um again events related to um i suppose the the subject that was all opened up by by justin trudeau's comments uh we'll be talking about you know indian interference uh within um you know within not only the the, the canadian sphere but globally as well and be touching on a couple of situations uh legal situations in relation to that uh, and we'll also be talking about a recent visit from Sikh representatives um to the human rights uh, headquarters in geneva where they'll be talked where they touched on and you know quite a few issues were addressed at that time so we'll be covering all of that as well so uh, delighted to be joined by for episode thirty one by uh, Seek Network co-founder Jazz Singh, uh, podcast regular Mangamal Singh, and another podcast regular and uh, now retired senior civil servant by the Bindarit Singh. Why Glujika Khalsa? So it's been twelve months and. <clears throat> I suppose I want to just leave this sort of quite open in a way. It's been 12 months, 52 weeks, 31 episodes in 52 weeks. So I think we've done well in terms of the output. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'll touch on sort of my personal experiences later. But, you know, I suppose everyone really, but, you know, Jasmine Kumal, I suppose, in terms of how we've grown this from episode one till today, Jazz. I always sort of start with you, so I might as well again. Yeah, I um, think uh, to be honest, I think it's looking back when we when we having the conversations about starting the the Seat Network podcast, and I think all of us were sort of discussing that there just wasn't anything out there for listeners or or people who follow Bantuk issues to really explain and break down what the issues are. For us, they're all very personal because we're we're involved in the cold face on pretty much all of them. But that experience and that knowledge was in our own heads uh, or in that close circle. We there wasn't really anything out there for the mass community to consume, think about, uh, and get involved in. And that was really the origins and the purpose of the of the podcast. And if I'm honest, they're just as relevant today than it is when we started. And if you think about the topics we've covered. Uh, developments uh, and what's happened in Punjab. Just look at that. We started with Amritpai, Amritpal Singh and, and his Karl uh, Savahir, what he'd started uh, in October last year. And then just look at his story, what's, what he's gone through. 
uh, how he was targeted, how Punjab was cracked down, and he has continued to be detained uh, in Assam. Uh, and that that campaign continues. But obviously, we've covered Jaggi's issue. We've we've covered uh, big issues around uh, the UK, the UK government's involvement uh, in, in collusion. We've, we've covered, obviously, more recently, the Shahidi of Bayo, of Hadib Singh Nijjar and, and, and Dar Singh Khandar. And also a number of issues around Sikh practices, Mariada, key key discussion points. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, thinking a year on, it's only when it popped up in our feed that we've, we've, we've done a year that it dawned on us. But um, I still yeah, think there's no, so much I, more to share, right? Yeah, and, and as I said, 31 episodes in 52 weeks. And it's not a bad work, right? I, th- I think we can probably do... Do more, but yeah, I think quite right. You know, we started on the foot. We started, and at that time, it was about the impact of obviously Amrapal Singh, and and really throughout our episodes, like you said, Jazz, we've we've kind of gone along on that journey to the point of where it is now. <clears throat> you know, locked up in Assam for <clears throat> for nothing, and kind of you know we. And again, I, I've kind of made this point. You know, a lot of our podcasts are all interlinked to similar issues, various issues. Uh, that are all from the same melting pot. So, Montgomery, kind of, and I know you're you're always keen to kind of get get the kind of views of the Sangat out there on what they think. And so, kind of over the last twelve months, Montgomery, in particular, what do you think about the impact this has had and and, and on the Sangat in terms of explaining some of these issues and sort of talk around some of the feedback you've you've personally got. I, I mean, these twelve months have been turbulent as well. Um, you know, almost unprecedented in in a way. Um, you know, what Jazz has just described, how we started off and what has happened in twelve months. I mean, those twelve months we, you know, when when we started this this whole podcast series, um, we had set subjects and topics that we were going to discuss. But very soon into into this, we had to become very live and reactive every week um, because there were so many twists and turns. Um, and and that's what's been happening over the last twelve months. And I think the podcast has helped us navigate through that as well. Um, make sense of it, revisit, try and understand what's going on um, and articulate it to the Sangat as well. So I think that's been quite important. And, and the feedback I've got from general Sangat, uh, meet the Gurdwara and um, events and programs and stuff is I think they appreciate that that breakdown. They appreciate um, the, the the sort of honesty and, and the feedback that's provided. Um, because often, you know, the people who have been in the rooms, who have been involved leading those discussions are involved in the podcasts. Uh, I mean, Jazz and Dabindajit Singh um, are often the leads in, in a lot of what, what discussion is taking place out there. Um, and, you know, to be able to share that with the Sangat is 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 really important. And that transparency was missing. Um, and often, you know, is is, is what the Sangat, re- well, what the Sangat really want as well. So that transparency has been missing. And I think we were mindful of that when we started this podcast as well. It was about bringing transparency as well um, about activities uh, and real life stories and personal experiences as well. Um, our own personal experiences of what we've seen, um, you know, when we've been involved in the Sevas as well. So that's two, how I'd sum it up. It goes two ways as well, doesn't it? Obviously, the feedback from the Sangat is brilliant, right? When you go out and people uh, come up and say, look, really, really thank you and, 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 pleased about the podcast and, and, and they see the value in it. But it's been, well, I think one thing that took me surprise, by surprise was actually 
in the plethora of political podcasts on all the platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, we ranked in the top 100 uh, regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there must be hundreds of, and this is not only C, I mean, all pod, all political podcasts, we regularly ranked in the top 100, which just goes to show as a small community, actually, we, we, our reach is again beyond uh, what we expected. Um, well, that's on a zero budget as well. I mean, you yeah. know, I remember when we were sharing that uh, ranking and we were looking at the other podcasts. I mean, these were from, you know, um, these are professional podcasts. They, they would yeah, have money behind them. Senior politicians have got them going, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we're, we're ranking with them. So, you know, considering it's just a small sort of um, little setup, um, you know, it's, it's had massive reach, not just in the UK, in America, uh, in India. So fortunately, you know, we, we, we don't have the... Um, the big tech company bans um, at this point in time. So we're able to have a voice yeah. in India. Um, and, and again, you know, Canada has been popular. And then in, in smaller net countries like um, Kenya and uh, Malaysia as well, when we've looked at our stats, um, you know, we've got listeners across the world, uh, globe as well, uh, New Zealand. So it's, it's good to know that that sort of reach is um, outside of the UK as well and reaches so far. No, that's, that's right. And I think it's certainly an apt phrase to say that we are punching above our weight in terms of, you know, the you know the tech, and it's quite simple how we do it, and and kind of that type of thing. But I think, like Jazz said, the power is the discussion. The, the, these types of discussions are happening in a lot of places and aren't as kind of accessible as as we make them through the podcast. Uh, by the energy thing, um, you know, podcasts, this kind of new wave of communication and everything, and I think. When me and Jazz and Montgomery sort of talked about this, it was always about, you know, there would be issues with maybe some of the more traditional Sikh media and, and some of the restrictions they were under of what could be said, what couldn't be said. I think one of the big things that always stood out for us was that we we controlled this and we could try and grow it as much as we can, but ultimately without without the censorship. So kind of what's been your view, Dimitri? I know you've you've been a regular feature on this podcast and at times from further afar as well is this you've kind of seen the positives of this over the last 12 months hey, to be fair Montgomery, I, I reckon uh, I'm not a regular as, as, the, as the regulars if I could put it that way I've probably done about a, a dozen of those 31 um, I, I, I'm always thinking more about it's very difficult to compare a podcast to some of the other media activity because television is for a different audience. I, th I think it's the audience I'm more interested in in terms of the podcast, because one, it's primarily English-speaking, and therefore, you know, your English-speaking countries abroad and how, especially where Sikhs live, but be interested to know whether non-Sikhs listen to the podcast, because some of the topics I guess we're covering would be interesting to journalists, would be in interesting to those people that follow the sorts of stories covered in the last uh, 12 months. But, but I also think, uh, reflecting on some of the things that have happened recently, uh, I remember Montgomery Singh saying, when I was on Radio uh, World at One, because they also do a video image, you know, the little clips. So this might be something that we developed in the last 12 months. It will mean that, you know, uh, 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 the stars will need to be tied, etc. We need to look uh, reasonable. 
but it wouldn't be bad actually doing the odd video clip because actually what you put across through sound is one thing, but what you can put through, you know, through social media to highlight a particular podcast when something's said, I, I just think some coming out of somebody's mouth and seeing it can make all the difference. So, so I think there's the things that we can improve upon. Um, and yeah, it's been a, a challenging 12 months in terms of the range of issues, but let's look, for to the next 12 months, you know, Seat Network is known for the Seat Manifesto. Um, there will be probably an election in the next 12 months and quite a few changes. So actually, we should be able to mix up the Seat Network. Well, you know, why not get some politicians on in the next 12 months to talk about some of the issues? You know? Um, these are the things that all should be possible because they're looking for ways to to reach people. And again, we probably don't have the restrictions of you right politicians need to get one from each of the main political parties there. I don't think we have those restrictions. Yeah, and I think one of the big things for this podcast, and I think it's something that we, we will continue to push, and anyone who's listening who's thinking, what are these 31 episodes that are going on about? Uh, they're all on... If you just go to the Seat Network podcast on all the major platforms, all of our library and catalogue is on there. And uh, hopefully you'll be you'll be pleasantly surprised with some of the topics. Not all of them are political. Not all of them are, are controversial. Some of them are really uh, knowledgeable and, and important tarmak and, and mariada issues. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is, is continue to push the agenda. Keep pushing out the narrative because... You touched on it there, Montgomery and Sok, is around the censorship. And, and we, we've covered censorship, Sikh censorship. But in a world where the social media is being controlled, restricted, and really even our mainstream channels are, are, are challenged in, from a Sikh perspective. So to get our voice out, it really takes effort. Um, taking time out to record is just one thing, right? We, we, we're all committed. But to get the reach it takes effort um and really we rely on the sangat in people sharing it the word of mouth and really that's where it, it it makes a difference if people share it people pass it around tell others other organizations share share it because this isn't we're not we're, we're not getting any financial gain from this right none of it's monetized we we just do our parchar uh and share share what we're involved in just to just to increase the stats knowledge and understanding but i guess one thing we're really really good for the for the coming 12 months is for us to continue not only pushing it out there but um getting feedback so anyone can get in touch with us via us individually or all the seat network on all the socials and give us your feedback give us topics that you might want to hear about from an in-depth perspective from a different perspective because we've we, we'll talk about things that we think are important or, or, or oppressing, but it'll be great to get uh, thoughts and comments and feedback from from the listeners on what they want us to talk about. And we'll, we'll get the relevant guests on. It's not just our ideas, right? We'll, we'll bring the experts on. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a bit of a, a mystery aspect with podcasts in terms of the viewership and kind of where it's coming from and who's watching it. But I think it is clear that I think even me and you, Jazz, we've been approached by 
people who, <clears throat> you know, and I think if we were both honest, people that we thought wouldn't listen to the podcast that have come up to us and said, you know, it's great and really informative. So there's that mystery of, and I think the Binderji by the Binderji thing, I 100% agree, and I've I said this, I think we need to really use this as, you know, in terms of getting more politicians on, and especially as we approach the election and, you know, in fact, using it as a sort of a, a hustling type platform, um, I think will, we'll, you know, will be a big push for, for next year too. But yeah, video, I agree. And I think we've all talked about, you know, looking at the video side of things um and you know because we are like i said we, we're punching above our weight so i think yeah it's um Montgomery, um you know you've i think you've lived and breathed this as much as as anyone else um kind of the next 12 months where do you think and i think you know apart from what we've mentioned what are some of the other things you think we could do in order to kind of move this forward even further I mean, regular podcasting. I mean, that's probably one thing that we've dropped over the over the past few weeks because we've we've just been so busy um, involved in other things. But uh, I mean, as the vintage things mentioned, I mean, we we've got a, a general election coming up. It's going to be important to to use this platform for that. Um, we've got our Sikh manifesto, and there are issues on there that we still need to discuss. I mean, Sikh schools, Sikh education. You know, we've we've often talked about um, you know that that six six in sports. I know you guys have been keen on that. So there are other topics that um, we'd like to bring in. Um, but the reality of it is, is that you know, as I mentioned at, at the, when, when I started uh, my comment, was that you know it's been a turbulent twelve months. We are reacting um, to what actually happens week on week. Um, so often, you know, these sort of um, plans that we have. Are pushed aside um, because because of the sheer number of twists and turns um, that we're seeing, uh, you know, in the community and you know um, over the last over the last few months. So um, let's see where it goes. Who yeah. knows where we're going and where we'll be in the next twelve months? I think it goes to show it was a blessing that you know, as you've described, the last twelve months as turbulence and and kind of very kind of busy from a, a seat perspective that. We've had this podcast during that twelve months to to reflect and react to stuff, and and I think in a lot of the situations, a, a, a lot of the subjects, I think in fact we were probably the only source of kind of long format content that would give you know give things their proper context, and and especially to people who don't always understand everything, actually laying it out in in a way that they can understand. So yeah, I think it's it's been a it's been a positive twelve months and. But I think we can do better. Um, we can certainly be more organised, can't we, Mankamal, in terms of jazz schedules and you know when's everyone's available. And I think it, yeah, I think yeah. it just I think it just bites for the personal challenge of Stick being available as yeah, much yeah. as we can, and you know then doing promos, then doing videos, then doing all of this stuff. It just seemed to be in a a uniform for for a certain amount of time. But yeah, I think certainly it's a good point of reflection of you know, how we can kick on the next 12 months and, and just make this information, again, really accessible and easy to find for some good. So, yeah, I think video and moving to the YouTube, I think, you know, we've all talked about it, but I think, yeah, it's probably definitely something to look at. So, yeah, it's been a good 12 months. So, yeah, as I sort of mentioned in the intro, um, the kind of, I suppose, the world's world's attention was 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 kind of raised, you know, was it a month or so ago when Justin Trudeau made those remarks um, in relation to um, the assassination 
of you know the assassination inc in canada and, and and so forth and sort of bringing in the involvement of the indian government i suppose now would be a good time to kind of look at and I suppose by the Bindujit thing, you'll probably be in kind of pole position to to tackle this of of where the legalities of that situation stands in relation to uh, the accusations made um, by Trudeau, and kind of where that situation sits in in the kind of geopolitical environment as as we stand today. I I think if if we, even if we just look back at the last few weeks. And I actually go all the way back to when Hardeep Singh Nijo was assassinated on the 18th of June. Clearly, the Canadian authorities, now we know, uh, you know, from what's emerged, you know, the US picked up intelligence from Canada uh, about Indian government involvement. That's what we know now, five, six weeks later. Um, we also now, uh, if it's to be believed, um, have heard a ge geopolitical analyst uh, based in America who said the Americans picked up the intelligence, but it was actually the British intelligence using the sources from India that verified it. Now that came out only a week ago. Now that that in, introduces an interesting, interesting twist of how the five nations, uh, or the five eyes, which are made up of those five nations, work. Uh, and we've again seen in the last week how the Australians have become a lot more vocal uh, with their head of intelligence giving a, an interview to ABC about a week ago. Um, and then uh, I think I was sent from a contact from Australia that appeared before a, a select committee uh, yesterday. And again, he was asked questions. And he more or less repeated what was uh, given in, in the interview to ABC. So what you've actually seen is despite what's going on in Israel and Gaza, which has obviously dominated the news, this story will not go away simply because what Justin Trudeau said on the 18th of September, whether we like it or not, is, is a big story. Um, and in, in a way, uh, I was talking earlier today, was there, there was an article about um, five days ago where somebody said, India-Canada trade uh, is fairly small compared to the issue of our sovereignty. And actually, it made me think, and that article went on to say that in the next decade, um, Canada's GDP would be affected by 0.2% if the India-Canada trade deal goes through. And actually, this is something that we don't talk about enough in the UK. You know, we've heard all sorts of stories of Rishi Sunak trying to get a trade deal this month, which isn't going to happen. And there was a House of Lords report about two years ago which said the impact of an India-UK India trade deal up to 2035 was going to be between 0.12 
and 0.22% GDP, even less than Canada. And sometimes we forget this. So, so when we, we're talking about, you know, British politicians, I'm not going to say the UK government, British politicians always talk about the importance of India in terms of trade. Reality is, it's not big. And yet, we get people like Juggy compromised for seven years. We get all the things, you know, we've probably touched upon at various times about attempted extraditions, you know, raids on people's homes, what we've just seen in terms of hit lists, etc. You know, the concept of pro-Khalistan extremism, all of this is around. And yet, it doesn't make sense in terms of India-UK trade. In fact, the Sikhs in this country probably add more to GDP than India. Must it's, bizarre. it's bizarre when you think about it. I mean, yeah, no, you've, 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 when you put it into that context, it's true. The more you read into these articles and you, the more you read The Economists and and what they say about these trade deals, again, you know, we know now that the politicians, we're coming up to a general election, it's all about headlines. And, you know, all we, we, we get sucked into, everyone's getting sucked into these big optics and these big headlines to say, you know, this this is bigger than what it is. But the reality of it is that that trade-off is 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 minuscule. And, you know, I think what you just mentioned there, that, you know, how that the fact that we get forgotten about as a community, our input, our... Um, you know, our, our input into into economy, our input into the society. Um, you know what, what we do for GDP. Um, you know that's completely forgotten about because of the optics of of um, this so called trade deal that they're all trying to sort of go for. Yeah. The it's, taxes we pay, the benefits yeah, we don't claim, all of that comes. It's shocking. It. Yeah, it's, yeah. When you talk to people, this is where I think British politics has really gone blind because there is no oversight. There is no accountability, and largely after Brexit, because the, the successive governments and failed prime ministers have really let the country down. And in the attempt to cover up and glorify Brexit, it was all sold on these big trade deals, these big uh, free trade deals. And none of them have transpired, Not nothing with the US, no one with any country. Um, and India was badged as the biggest market. But when you talk to people from different industries, and I, I talk to people from my professional background and, and all sorts of industries, it's even more shocking than that in that the trade deal is so heavily stacked in India's favor that it's unbelievable. You can't even comprehend how that would benefit the UK. Just to give you an example, uh, we were talking with lawyers, uh, and we'll touch on this with, with, with Kundar, but the trade deal for legal services, what that means is the UK courts will be opened up to Indian lawyers. So any Indian lawyer firm based in India can compete and actually represent you in UK courts if you select them. And what that will mean will be another influx and flood of Indian firms, law firms setting up here, huge amount of lawyers, paralegals coming over to the UK. But in a fair trade deal, you'd expect Indian courts, given how it's a 400-year delay in cases in India, to be opened up to the UK market. But that's not happening. There, there is purely one way. So the UK will have to open up its cases and courts to Indian lawyers, but India won't open up its market to UK lawyers. That's what the trade deal is made of. 
And the Brit- British politicians, they know it's a failed deal, but because of the Brexit hangover, that it has to demonstrate it's a successful, we've signed it. India are milking them uh, and exploiting them. It's damn right robbery uh, that this trade deal constitutes. But they've got them by 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 the scruff of the neck, and they're they are exposing them to not only uh, disproportionately beneficial terms, but actually influencing political policy in the UK because of it. And I, I've never seen this, and it has to be because of a blind lack of oversight, lack of governance, lack of courage in the political system for somebody to say, hold on, we need to stop doing this stuff. It doesn't make sense. You've got a Trojan horse there as well. This is what, what people are failing to see in this country. Um, and again, you know, that influence and interference that India has in now in industry, in academia, in politics, and if if in the judicial system as well. Um, you've just got... <laughs> You know, that's your Trojan horse there. Just to bring it back to, I was the one that opened up this GDP thing, because I think it's important in terms of trade deal, because it's mentioned so often. But going back to the, the other thing that came out the last couple of days was, um, it was rumoured that Justin Trudeau, when he made his statement on the 18th of September, did so because a, a, a media outlet was going to run the story and, and obviously, that's now become clearer that it was uh, a Global Mail um, journalist based in Ottawa who basically was talking to Canadian intelligence. And this is where we need to draw a parallel with British intelligence when it comes to Kunda, et cetera. So, so this picture, early September, in, Canadian intelligence officers are talking to journalists and obviously talk to this journalist who then contacts Justin Trudeau's office and says, I'm going to run a story. They say, can you wait a week? Um, he's given an interview to, to, to a news outlet himself, so that's why we can go into this detail. He says, I'm not prepared to wait a week. I'm going to run a story on Tuesday, the 19th of September in the morning. And he said... And then three o'clock in the afternoon, Justin Trudeau makes his statement in Parliament. He goes, they could have played it differently, but they chose to do it this way. But the reason why it's worth talking about this on the podcast is we're talking about media. Actually, the power of the media, if it's used properly, is massive. So in this case, had the media not been talking to those Canadian intelligence officers, we perhaps would have been none the wiser. And this this raises an instinct point around British intelligence. So British intelligence officers, they also talk to the media. British intelligence officers also talk to others in the know. And that's one of the key things that struck us, you know, when the whole thing about Hadeep Singh Nijjar blew up in India's faces, is from different sources, people from British intelligence were saying there's been foul play when it comes to Kunda. And, and this is now, you know, I, I, I must be honest, I hadn't heard of the Five Eyes, never paid any attention to it until the last sort of four or five weeks. Now it's so interesting when you see 
how these five gather information and how the US has more resources. I remember a leading journalist telling me who did talk to British intelligence and say there was foul play when it comes to country. He explained to me how the five eyes work. He even said to me, with the Manchester bombing, the US picked it up for the Brits. They didn't pick it up quick enough to uh, avoid the bombing. And, and that demonstrates how one countries do rely on each other for intelligence. And I, and I think that's the, the other big story that's happened in, in the last four or five days is we've heard the Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister and Justin Trudeau give interviews on television to say they've had to withdraw 41 Canadian diplomats from India. And and Justin Trudeau said, put aside, you know, a deep signature. This in itself is India breaking international law and effectively um, violating the Vienna Convention. And I thought it was really interesting. That was on Thursday. And on Friday, the Foreign Office issued a statement. The US State Department issued a statement in writing, basically backing Canada. And so it shows with all the stuff going around the world and all these big stories, actually, this story has so many twists and turns because actually the only reason why India said it's going to take away diplomatic immunity was because they've been basically caught red-handed or their pants down when it comes to a deep signature assassination, if I want to use colourful language. Um, and they just don't know how to respond. And I think this is another own goal on their part um, because I think Canadians very cleverly will now play this out with actually lots of nations around the globe that say, look what India are doing, so-called democracy. You know, and I, I think there are there are going to be lots of turns and twists when it comes to what's happening in India and elections as well next year that I'm sure we're gonna to have to cover on the podcast yeah. in terms of I mean that, that that's that's the interesting bit now right is for far too long people have stayed quiet and ignored India's failed democracy it's a shamocracy is what we, we refer to in the past uh and again it's selective politics but when India's playground diplomacy plays out against the bigger western countries the US Canada UK to a certain degree there's only so much and so far, uh, that will go. And But India doesn't realise it. And again, it is, as, as Baji said, it keeps scoring these own goals. It keeps, think, it keeps thinking it can um, threaten, bully other countries that are way bigger than, than it. And especially this Hadeep Singh Nijat, the react, and I think really the overreaction started around the Kasana Morja. Um, and... If, and we all know the CIA monitor everything, the US will monitor everything, MI6 will monitor all this. They all know the Sikh issue uh, with India. They'll all know the discrimination, the repression that Sikhs face, the reaction the Sikhs have, whether that's the, 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 the Khalistan movement or whether that's the prisoners, release of prisoners, whether that's Guru Granth Sahib whether it's the drug pandemic and, and, and the response to that the water issues, and ultimately the farm uh, laws. 
they all knew what was behind it. They knew it was a, a, a repressive right-wing BJP government. And, but they continued to, to let it grow uh, and fuel it to, to, to some degree. And now that they've been exposed, that, that crossed a line that no one thought they would in terms of killing, extrajudicially killing a Canadian in Cana- on Canadian soil, it's kind of a step too far. And now they're slowly ebbing away and eroding India's, lifting India's veil of democracy, fake veil. And I think it's incumbent on all us and Sikhs listening that we continue this because ultimately, and we've said it, Budgie and I have done multiple media uh, uh, interviews, articles, coverage, and it's an opportunity. We've been campaigning and elders before us for 40 years since 84 to really get our narrative and our story out in, in the mainstream. And we've been up against it, but we've persevered. Now the world is listening. We're getting calls from media all over the world asking for opinion, asking for, for detail, what's going on, uh, committed to running stories. And we've got to take these opportunities up. So anyone who's listening, it is vitally important, especially those organizations and those sort of active, but even the, the ordinary listeners, stay informed. Follow the stories, whether it's from the Sikh Federation, whether it's the Sikh Network, whether it's Sikh PA, bars, all of these uh, platforms, CUK, um, anyone who's raising and touching on these issues, your duty is to read, understand, and share. Um, because the more we keep the story alive, the more the story will flow. And governments are now taking action. It's not just public opinion uh, and, and public morture, which is what the calm, sick struggle has relied on. Now it's at the political agenda. We still have a challenge, though, in the UK, because I think the, the, the dynamics in the UK have, have been very different to, to what we've seen in Canada. I mean, we look, look at the stark differences between Trudeau and, and um, Sunak in the way that's managed. I mean, we have a, here we have an active government that's, um, that's in collusion with India. That's how it's seen to us, you know, with, with, with narratives and, you know, the, the uh, relentless um, repetition of the, the, the PKE mantra and things like that, that we're, we're seeing coming in various different reports. I mean, that's, that's a um, concerning challenge that we have um, when you've got Bloom, Bloom and you've got Shawcross and various reports that are government commission reports that try to shoehorn um, this, this agenda of um, pro-Khalistan extremism um, out there and to create that perception. Um, and they're working hard at it. I mean, Bloom, you know, I mean, the man's no longer involved in, in government, but he'll tweet, he'll, he'll bring in. I mean, the, I remember uh, just after the, the, the uh, Israel-Gaza situation arose, I mean, he used that situation again to propel um, the pro-Khalistan extremism n- narrative, which had nothing to do with that issue. But he, sh- uh, he piggybacked um, off the back of that. So. You know, this is the problem we have. You know, I mean, they don't. The other countries don't have ninety-five thousand pound investment into um, looking into sick extremist activities like we have in the UK. I know it's token. I mean, we know it's optics, and we know that ninety-five thousand is nothing at the end of the day. It's just an amount to appease the Indian government. Um, but we still have those yeah. politicians that are working against the Sikh community. No, look, and, and, and anyone who sort of follows politics, if, it's clear that 
the Conservatives are aligned with the BJP. So you always have alignment with certain governments. We've got the right wing across the board. Parties. I think. And, yeah, and, yeah. And there is the International Democratic Union, the IDU. Yeah. And if you search there, you will find in India, it's the BJP. And in the UK, it's the Conservative Party. So they yeah. have an alliance. They've always had that alliance. And I think it's even more amplified because of what we talked about earlier with the Brexit desperation to get this deal over the over the line with India. Um, and I think Rishi Sunak and, and Priti Patel before him, th- these guys have all sort of manipulated and done the work of the Indians with with in government and with the rest of the cabinet. And we're having to, like you said, it's harder for us in the UK, um, but it's something that we, we need to continue to do because, again, it comes to not only is it Bantak voices, we're up against a government. We're also up against these propped up six that are there occupying these positions as the representatives, the roundtable guests. And until as a Sangat and as a UK collective, we address that and deal with that, um, we're never really going to get our true voice out and a seat around the table. Um, and until then, we're going to have to keep protesting, keep raising It'll it. There'll be grassroots voices. Yeah. And, th- and that's uh, what it's going to be. That, that's what, because we just don't have those people sitting on the tables. Um, no. you know, and, people, and, and, and our Sangat need to recognize that. It's, we don't do protests just for the sake of it. We do it because we are the door is closed to our views, our ideas, and, and individuals. And this is the way we're going to have to kick those doors in. We did it before in 2010, um, and we'll, we'll have to do it again. But I think it's, it's something that we all, all our listeners need to sort of understand that it isn't just a case of, oh, the government, we, they will listen to us. It's, they've created this environment that we are way on the outside, uh, and they're covering everything up uh, with certain sick individuals and organizations that, that are friendly to their agenda. Sorry, Man Kamala. I'm just going to pick up on, a, and I think it's an important point for for listeners. Um, the point you touched on in terms of the comparison of the reaction of, of Trudeau with, with a range of British prime ministers we've had over the last few years and how it's such a contrast. So in terms of that contrast, and, and this is something to really unpack for the listeners, in terms of the contrast of of kind of support or kind of reactions we've seen between Trudeau and, like I said, our prime ministers. Do we put this down to kind of just international relations or is there something from a lobbying perspective that Sikh orgs, you know, Sikh orgs in, in Canada have kind of done that perhaps we haven't? Can I, because I, you know I'm a regular in Canada and, and uh, and there are pros and cons uh, of this. So, so if we did a direct comparison between the UK and Canada, and you looked at Sikh's political clout, it's you know Canadians win hands down. And the reason why they win hands down is they have a party leader who's a Sikh, they have a deputy leader who's Sikh of another party, and they have probably almost a dozen MPs in the ruling Liberal Democrat, Liberals, I should say. So what they've got is they've got people, Sikhs, in very senior positions. So they they went hands down uh, when it comes to Sikhs in positions of power in Canada compared to the two Sikh MPs we've got, which are both Labour MPs in opposition. 
However, the difference there is actually the exact opposite of what you said, Subraj. If you take activism in terms of organizations in Canada compared to the UK, we're actually ahead of the game. We we achieve a lot more given we have so little political clout because of our campaigning and lobbying. Lobbying is virtually, I, I wouldn't say non-existent, but it's a lot more difficult in Canada because of the size of the country and the way it works. Um, so what they do is they have political clout because in places like Brampton and Surrey, every single candidate will be a Sikh because the, the population uh, is so great of the Sikh community in certain parts of mm. uh, you know Ontario and and BC. Um, so in one sense, you know, if we had the equivalent of Canada in terms of politicians in the parties at senior senior positions. I don't know what we would have achieved in the UK because we'd be the ones pushing those politicians. Now, I think this is more to do with, we've already touched upon it in terms of BJP and Conservatives, but I think it's more complicated than that. You know, I, I look at some of the Conservatives like David Davis, the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee. They've been outspoken. You know, they've been supporting issues like Juggie, um, Eddie Hughes, and and one thing we should do is not totally align and uh, you know discredit political parties, whether it be the Conservatives or Labour, because hand on my heart, I'm not sure Labour are going to be any better when they come mm-hmm. to power. Um, and we're still going to have they're going to have to deal with probably the BJP. Um, you just believe that the 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 socialist, the leftist thought within the labour movement, the trade unions, will mean that Sikhs get more of a, a say. And clearly the Labour Party is committed to certain things uh, in terms of the 84 inquiry, etc. So I think we're, we're, we're heading for an interesting time. I, I would say we're going to get more and more political clout in this country. I don't think it's diminishing. I think it's increasing. I think the manifesto in itself was a tool for people to use. I think there are more younger people that have become councillors, that are becoming MPs. Um, But at the moment, it feels like they're all in the Labour Party. I can't see any bunting-minded Sikhs really come through from the Conservatives, not for, I want want to say, not for the next decade, but I, I wouldn't be surprised even in my lifetime. Yeah. I I haven't even seen. I, I, I'm going to be quite blunt. I I don't even see the candidates in the Labour Party being pumpkin minded because their silence over the last four weeks really. Um, now is the time to really make a comment or to put something forward, and it's been uh, minimal. It's been zero, in fact. Um, you know, maybe the two Sikh MPs have said something, but certainly the candidates who are you know who are standing as MPs who are from Sikh backgrounds, Sikh councillors. Um, could have done something. They could have all come together and put something in writing, um, and they haven't. So uh, I'm dubious, and I'm don't uh, have antiques for labour. You can write them off altogether because yeah. they're just good for giving out um, apples and pears on no. on on seat conference on labour conferences. But there's nothing coming out of any of these um, labour groups. No, I think, I think that's something we're, we're going to definitely touch on. As uh, so I mentioned, we'll, we'll do the hustings. I think. Having an open and frank conversation with some of these candidates, and it's not about 
you have to fire the flag for the calm and 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 raise every issue. We're not we're not we're not that naive, and we, 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 that's not our, that's not the request. Um, but I think there is a, a real worry and a concern that individual MPs, not just Sikhs but Sikhs as well, are being gagged by the parties, uh, and the parties are so nervous that anyone has an individual thought that goes against the party line on any topic that they're so hypersensitive that they just gag them and shut them up. Uh, and MPs are... are Do you think they gag them or they're just basically too scared to... to I, I, they just think, don't have the confidence? And I, think, the, the... I think there's probably a bit of both, but I think they're all being gagged. I think they're all being spoken to, not to say this, they're, they're being restricted. When you talk to them offline, they'll tell you. And then uh, I remember an era when people would... They'd, Labour MPs in the backbench, and and Lindsay will know more than me, but they they would call out their own government, uh, in Tony Blair's government. Um, you see that less and less from the Conservative backbenchers. It happens, but it's not as frequent as it used to be in 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 the Commons. They see it less and less from the Labour. Labour yeah. is just non-existent. Yeah, um, yeah, they might won't say anything. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is the 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 thing that they they're threatening with. They'll lose their seat or they'll get deselected. They're using all these mechanisms to control what gets said. Um, and I don't think that's healthy. So we'll certainly raise it with some of the Sikh politicians because when you compare it to over the across the pond and, and what's happening in Canada, individual and on the coming back to the Nidjar point, you had not only Trudeau, but the Conservative leader, Jagmeet Singh leader of the NDP, and then individual Sikh MPs from all parties spoke openly about it and i've continued to do so that just hasn't happened um and i think it's that if 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 you can't even be triggered by a prime minister raising these issues let alone all of the other parties and you're still quiet i think that's a real question for us in this country of of, of our seat candidates and mps uh, and councillors I still think we, I think we'll be back to lobbying and grassroots um, activism because I think I can't see that changing um, based on the signals that I've picked up on in terms of the, the activity so far. Like, like if you compare it to, um, say, say what's happened in the last few days when, you know, Canada have said that India is in breach of the Vienna Convention yeah. and the Foreign Office put out a statement, the US State Department put out a statement. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Any politician, any UK politician could, if they wanted to, on the back of the Foreign Office statement, show some support for Canada. I, I don't think I've seen any uh, from any politician, let alone yeah. Sikhs, let alone any prospective candidates. It's almost though, you know, it's someone else's issue. And yet, this is fundamental to the way nations operate. Well, I think, it's, I think it's bigger than that, but yes, it's like it's like they've criminalized solidarity with Sikhs in Parliament. It's like on any issue, any solidarity with Sikhs, unless it's yeah. giving Lungar away or some other story, any Sikh issue, political issue, it is it's completely but, sort of. But what, was, what, what I was going to say though is the the issue of the diplomats actually isn't a Sikh issue per se. No. That's what Justin Trudeau said in his speech. He said putting her deep signature to one side, this is a big issue in its own right. How can any country 
disrespect, international law, Vienna Convention, nations start to break down. Hey, can you remember any other than, I think, where Russia were expelled? Has this happened before? Well, just to put this in context, this move that India have done, and they're supposed to be friendly nations, it, don't forget. It's, 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 it's precedent setting. It's never happened before. This is wow. what speeches were. This is about a country unilaterally, without saying it's anything to do with the deep signature, saying, can you reduce the number of uh, diplomats to the number we've got in Canada? And that's just not how it works. This, so, so, so in a way, this is what I was saying, that if, you know, all right, let's, let's ignore the perspective candidates. You know, maybe they're dealing with these local issues, et cetera, thinking about, you know, let's start thinking about the shadow foreign secretary, David Lammy. Surely he has a view on this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what did he get paid to do? Exactly. And, and I mean, look at the hypocrisy. You have India, who made a massive issue about the security of its ambassador, its staff and its mission. Whether it's a flag incident, whether it was restricting from entering uh, business affairs in the Gurdwara, whatever, they constantly go on to the Met and to the Home Office about the protection of its mission. Yet, on the other hand, it's expelled 41 members of the Canadian mission. Uh, it, again, it, it's gotten away with having it on both sides. Um, and I think it, uh, I was pleased to see the US State Department come out, UK. Yeah, fair, fair enough. But more has to be done. And I think this is where people have to lobby, people have to pressure. Um, but we're the, it seems to be we, we are the, the, the minority continue to keep asking the questions. But um, I think it's important. He, Sorry, go on. Yeah, and I was going to say, does, he, when you think about it, that's absolutely right. Sikhs, we have to prove things beyond five to 600% for there to yeah. be noticed. I mean, look, Trudeau wouldn't have been dying to say what he said. He wouldn't have been looking forward to saying what he said, but he was probably presented with such objective evidence that he had to say it. You know, if you look at a comparison of the, the revelations of British collusion with India in, in 84, these were government papers that came out. They weren't my opinion, your opinion. These were factual papers and factual statements from governments that said, they were released by mistake, um, and we prevented the release of even more. Just these types of things, just to the layman, they should just show that these are objective truths. They're not they're not up for discussion. These things happened, yet we're kind of here still trying to prove that governments collude against us, um, atrocities happen, you know, human rights violations still happen, and we you know we're still having to prove it. And you know. We, with Maharaj Kedapa in you know in the future we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll see the fruits of all of this but just wanted to move on um to the convention um or to to the event in Geneva um I know Jazz and by the Bindajit Singh you guys were both there so obviously I think a few things happened there um the copy of a, a memorandum was submitted to the UN's um human rights department um in relation to kind of I suppose, um, issues in India and, and issues against Sikh activists around the world. Obviously, we've talked about the the assassination of Deep Singh Nijjar and, 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 and that. And also, um, I think, so the Sikh Federation also sent 
a letter to the Office of Genocide Prevention um, in relation to the 84 genocide as well. So, I mean, Jazz Dabinderji, do you, do you want to kind of summarise how that trip went and, and some of the some of the points that came out? Sh- shall I kick it off? So, so let, let's um, a lot lots of uh, the podcast listeners might not know about how the UN Human Rights Council operates. So, so one of the things is they have special rapporteurs or experts pointed in different areas. So, you know, you get one for arbitrary detention, you get one for executions, you get one for human rights defenders, and there's a range of them. So actually what what you can do is you can make what's called a formal complaint. So the day before we went on the on the 12th of October, we did a formal complaint uh, related to Hadeep Singh Nidra. I'm going to go into that in a bit more detail because it's just interesting. So basically, you can make a complaint uh, for up to five different rapporteurs. So we selected five. You know, there's one for religious freedoms, one for minorities. And actually, what the special rapporteurs do is because they're independent, they look at the issue that's been raised. And what they then to do, do is they have communications. So they formally then... If they are convinced, they will formally write to the country or countries involved. So if you take Hadeep Singh Nidja, and I'm going to be devil's advocate and throw it the other way around, you know, they'll look at it and they'll say, right, we can write to Canada. They can write to Canada to say, based upon what is known now out there, is there was credible intelligence from the five eyes nations, uh, verified by other nations of Indian government involvement. But actually, what did you do to protect sort of deep signature? Because the right to life is a is a fundamental right, and Canada as a government must protect its citizens. So there are questions, and those questions have been asked in Canada about will this investigation also highlight were their failings? Because people also said it took quite a long time for for the authorities to turn up after it had been shot dead as well. Um, so there are going to be questions for the Canadian government. Now, clearly, there's going to be questions for the Indian government based upon what's out there. And that's what the special procedures allow you to do, is to, is to formally enter a complaint. And the one where we know where this has worked is Jagtar, Singh Jalvao where they formally communicated to India, not once, not twice, I think three times, and they've issued press releases when they believe India is not responding to them or not responding in the right way. And they're the ones that declared he was in arbitrary detention. That puts pressure then on the UK government and so on and so forth. So actually, whilst this is quite a long process, formally registering complaints at the UN Human Rights Council with rapporteurs means you have people looking at this. The other one that was done was um, just once in Canada. Uh, that was also submitted on the 12th. And people may say, well, just once in Canada was killed you know, many, many years ago. Why submit a complaint now? And the reason for that was more tactical. And it was tactical around the issue of the 1984 Sikh genocide. Now, this is one of the Sikh Manifesto topics about uh, not the uh, not the UK independent public inquiry, but the UN-led inquiry declaring a genocide. 
And actually, what we've managed to do with the communications to the International Criminal Court and the two special advisors on genocide is say, look, BJP government have been in power since 2014. If you simply look at the Indian legal system, the police and politicians, well, they all refer to November 1984 as a genocide. So the CBI compared to killings of Sikhs to the killing of the Jews by the Nazis. That's that's in a submission to the Indian Supreme Court. The Delhi High Court called it a genocide. The Supreme Court called it a, a genocide. You know, Rajnath Singh, as the Home Office Minister in 2014, called it a genocide. Arun Jaitley called it a genocide. Narendra Modi, the current Prime Minister, called it a genocide and said 50 generations of Sikhs won't forget this. And so what we've done is very interestingly said to them, well, actually, the country where the genocide was committed, their courts and their politicians say it was a genocide when it comes to November 1984. What we're doing with the Jaswansing Kalada complaint is actually saying it wasn't just November 1984. What about the work he did and the evidence he produced of 25,000 bodies of men, women, and children that were burnt, you know, with just their records of who they were. You know, that was nothing to do with November 84. It was to do with Sikhs killed from June 84 over the next decade. And where that's interesting is nine police officers have been imprisoned for killing Jaswanting Khalida. And four of those police officers, when they got life imprisonment, they appealed. And the Supreme Court of India in 2011, in their judgment, they, they threw out the appeal, kept it to life imprisonment. But what's interesting is their judgment talks about Jaswansin Kalara's work and his scathing of the Punjab police and the brutality of the Punjab police. Not in the context of what they did to Jaswansin Kalara, but in the context of the work he was doing. And so, again, we've said, look, there are judgments in the highest court in India that is also talking about effectively crimes against humanity and genocide outside of November 1984. So it's just a really interesting way to have that debate as we approach the 40th anniversary. We may or may not be successful, but the fact that we've started a conversation and got people thinking and we're doing follow-up meetings with the two special advisors. Um, it just means that, you know, it's, it's opened up a door that perhaps wasn't there before the Justin Trudeau thing. I think now there could be lots of member states of the UN that might be quite interested in what the Sikhs have to say. Yeah, I think that, and, and I think that was the most powerful part of it in that actually we met with three officials from the UN. It was the 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 UN Human Rights Council representative on the India desk, the the head of the summary executions, and someone from the the Freedom of Belief uh, Special Rapporteur's Office. And I think all of these areas have an interest in India, not only for Sikhs, but from especially with religious freedoms, whether they're, they're Christians, Buddhists, 
Muslims, all minor religious minorities are being persecuted and would argue that their, their case be picked up by a special rapporteur on India. So there is wider pressure, but it's we we need to make the case for the Sikhs. And that's what this visit was about, especially in, in the in the light of the current political climate uh, and the pressure that's been placed. Because one thing that was very clear, and we've seen this with other things, petitions, uh, protests, things like that don't work at the UN. What works at the UN is member states tabling stuff, uh, tabling questions, raising concerns and lobbying. And then the UN machinery kicks in. Now, historically, member states have been very reluctant. Uh, I remember years ago, but I think it was going back uh, in the sort of probably mid-2000s where when we used to travel to, to Brussels and uh, India were asked to leave a UN Human Rights Council meeting because they just failed to respond. But since then, and certainly since the Modi era, they have have, have pressured certainly the member states and, and, and other governments. And I think now, as we touched upon everything earlier on in this podcast, that veil lifting, now is an opportunity for these countries to utilize the UN. Um, and it will be to suddenly start looking at historic human rights abuses, current religious repression, current press freedoms that are restricted, uh, the, 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 the discrimination against human rights groups in India, the lack of the rapporteurs being allowed into India. All these questions will be asked if there's some formal submissions as well. So I think it's vitally important that these things were raised and will continue to raise and follow up on. But again, it, it, was, it was something, it was an event. Um, and it made news headlines and, again, keeps the community active across Europe because a lot of this, the, the UN event and the protest uh, that accompanied it was largely attended by six from Italy, Germany, France. So, and again, it keeps that Europe uh, community active as well. Well, there's just one other thing to add was one of the other requests in the memorandum was that... Um, Apart from these special rapporteurs, which are which which specialise in particular themes, like um, religious freedoms or uh, human rights defenders, there's also fourteen different rapporteurs for fourteen different countries where the human rights record is particularly bad, uh, and we made a request that India should be the fifteenth. Uh, now uh, we, we were told we didn't know this, but uh, we were told this in the meeting that. The UN Human Rights Council tried to do this themselves um, on the back of two reports around what happened in Kashmir. And India just has too much clout. So there are 47 members of the UN Human Rights Council, of which India is one member, and it's split by region. So there's only um, the US is there, the UK is there, I think France, Germany, Italy, they're there. And and actually, uh, I, was, I wasn't put off at all by them saying, We've tried ourselves and we haven't been successful because I think the world is just looking differently at India. And this isn't just about Sikhs. It's about Christians. It's about Muslims. It's about Dalits. It's about women. It's about the press. There are a whole host of human rights issues in India. And India being uh, a so-called, well, it is the country with the biggest population, but I think people call it 
uh, an autocracy rather than a democracy. And and we just know that come elections next year, they're, they're going to talk about, obviously, the seat genocide again. Um, but also, there is no real opposition to talk about. And even the opposition there, the Congress, they're, they're adopting a soft Hindutva line as well now. Um, so, so in one sense, we're going to be the ones that have to really raise our voices, but alongside, you know, other minorities in India. Um, but it's actually a really good uh, campaign thing. And uh, and we've had people from across the globe that have contacted us about that, uh, just saying, yeah, this is a really good uh, initiative at the right time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, t- in terms of... Um, uh other aspects as well um and what what else has happened over the last uh week or so is is it worth um just briefly mentioning um about the um legal uh the legal sort of uh challenge to the chief coroner on um Abdassin Kanda's uh I, I think yeah. I think to be fair on that I think we'll probably cover that next week because a, it, it, we probably won't do it justice in, in the time we've got remaining but I think it's been widely covered in the media. Again, it's related to what we talked about in the the revelations that were made about Hardeep Singh Nijjar also uh, are connected to Kunda. And information we have gathered from independent sources say that British intelligence are are where, well aware, and it's the, it's the going thought that foul play was used when it comes to Kunda. And, and we've engaged a barrister, and I think... We'll probably do a, the next episode on that, and we'll get Michael Pollock, the barrister, on the podcast to talk about exactly where we are. Um, we had a, a press conference on second of October uh, to 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 launch um, or d- request an inquest and, and public inquiry. So we'll be able to update on that, uh, and also what responses we've had and, and what the next steps are. So I think it's probably uh, better and yeah. more in fact to dive into it next yeah. week. The, the thing that's worth probably adding, and we can pick this up because things might have moved on uh, by the time we do the podcast, is you probably remember that uh, lots of Sikhs wrote to their MPs around what happened in Canada, etc. And obviously, this was prior to the 2nd of October press conference. But clearly, even then, because there were articles about Thasin Kanda um, in the Times, etc., and it's really interesting seeing some of the responses coming back from MPs. They're standard responses. But the one standard response to those listening to the podcast, which you need to pick up with your MPs, is quite a few of them use this language like, clearly it's not appropriate for us to comment on what happens in Canada, etc. Um, and we, you know, we, we're concerned about Sikh activists in this country. When it comes to Abdas in Kandahar, they use this phrase, you know, the West Midlands police have thoroughly investigated the case. Um, remember those words. West Midlands police thoroughly investigated Kunda's case because absolute lies. Uh, I wrote to my MP before she had even a chance to respond along those lines saying, ask what the thorough investigation entailed. And I think that's something currently uh, journalists are asking the West Midlands police is what did your investigation entail? Because this is where the cover-up between the police, 
potentially the intelligence services and the UK government, and even, I would say, the coroner, because if the coroner was told, we've thoroughly investigated this, hands off, that that's, in a nutshell, currently what's being presented. Um, but very simple thing. Anyone knows when you carry out a police investigation, you interview people. They interviewed nobody. Absolutely zero. So I, it, it perhaps there's another test of this podcast is uh, will will some journalists pick up these things from a podcast and it becomes news? Maybe that's uh, one for the next 12 months. Yeah, yeah. Just to let you know, I do know a journalist that does listen to it for Channel 4. So um, a, a couple of our podcasts have been listened to by uh, Channel 4 journalists. So, um, yeah, let's hope more gets out there. Maybe, Badger, we need to um, make some more sound bites of these podcasts and actually, um, you know, and get them, send them physically out to to your magic list of, of, of kind of journalists out there. So, yeah, perhaps we need to be more proactive on hoping people stumble on the podcast is actually shove it in front of their faces a bit more. So, no, um, I think that brings episode 31 um to a conclusion um once again you know really thankful to be joined by everyone today and you know really kind of um yeah really interesting reflecting back on the past 12 months of of this platform and and the discussions and debates we've had um so yeah really thanks a lot by the Bindajit jazz and Moncombal and, and and I think as we touched on we'll be we'll be touching on um of the Arsinkanda situation as we move forward. Uh, and, and really, again, as we, as we touched on at the start and about this podcast on, on the visibility, um, you know, we really urge everyone to kind of share this as much as possible if they like it. And and, and certainly what we've been told is, is, you know, we really need to get more people leaving us a review, um, hopefully a positive one on their particular platform that they listen to because, uh, that's quite significant in actually giving this podcast more visibility, more eyes, uh, and and you know a push up the ratings that we discussed as well. So please, um, everyone, you know, if you do like this and find it interesting, give it a share and, and give us a review as well. So uh, thanks again, everyone, guys. Um, you know, it's been been a pleasure as always, and and once again, hope as we as we draw into year two of this podcast that. Um, once again, the people listening have, have really found this interesting and informative. If you need to get in touch with us, you can through um, at the Seat Network on our social media channels, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter, if you've got any questions about this podcast or anything else. So thanks again, guys. Episode 31 is a wrap. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you for episode 32 soon. Why guru? Welcome to the Sikh Network Podcast, a weekly podcast discussing current and topical issues affecting Sikhs across the global diaspora.